I'm watching a cop give a car a ticket, and now the guy uh, who owns the car ran over, and he's smiling. There's a standoff. It's a standoff. (laughs) This is Johnny on the street. It's a yuppie standoff. It's a... Because he's not fighting, you know what I mean? He's like, well, maybe I deserve it. Sure. How's Only a yuppie sweet, would sweet, think. What? How's that sweet, sweet L.A. Live treating you? Oh, it's fine. I'm So I'm recording this in my car, <laughs> just so everyone knows. <laughs> I think this is the highest consumption of energy, like actual energy an episode's ever taken, right? The car's running with air conditioning. Yes. Our carbon footprint is a monster, right? Yes. Now. A monster. Monster carbon footprint. So, so enjoy listen. it, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Indulge. <laughs> this episode's meant to be paired with a nice thick steak or a <laughs> a rich red wine. Really dive in. Yeah, yeah. Dive Go. into the horrible nightmare that is what we're doing. If you have a fur coat at home, put it on. <laughs> if mad about you was a final frontier, we're traveling outside of time and space here. So let's break it down. Welcome to Mad About Mad About You, everybody. Your Mad About You recap podcast. I, of course, am Russ Fader. And I'm John Marbley. John, back out west. How oh, yeah. out there, bud? Oh, you know, fine. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Fine. Hot. Wonderful. Paradise, yeah. actually, yeah. Spent the <laughs> week in Palm Springs. Yeah, you did. Oh, I've really had the L.A. life out here. <laughs> <laughs> and Driving some... back and forth on Mulholland. Man, oh man. Had dinner with some... our, a mutual friend of ours, Charles, at uh, oh, neat. the Smokehouse last night in Burbank across from Warner Brothers, where George Clooney used to go all the time after ER. You're a riot. I mean, listen, that's the only thing to do out here. That's it, baby. Otherwise, you just spiral into a deep, dark depression and never leave your house. I mean, look, that's not true. That's not all there is to do out there. I know some wackos who do, like, scavenger hunts all weekend. Oh, yeah, that's me, too. <laughs> How was that? Oh, that was insane. <laughs> I mean, I can't get into it really. It'll be boring, but to live it is a thrill. Sure. Yeah. John has this wonderful, amazing life where I say, hey, can we record this weekend? And he's just like, this weekend is terrible for me. I'm doing a 36-hour scavenger hunt. Yeah. We slept for two hours. That's so fun and crazy. Man, there were man. nine coins hidden around the city that we had to collect, nine gold coins. Wow. There were a bunch of clue sequences that led us to different parts of L.A., including sure. the father of the bride house. Oh, wow. That was a fun That's one. Neat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The way he That's did it, cool. he gave us all thumb drives. Uh-huh. The root folder said 839 South. Inside that was a folder called Optimus. Inside that were 100 MP3s labeled 1 to 100, and each one was two seconds long of film score. Holy moly. So then it clicked in one of our brains that, oh, Optimus, prime numbers. So then we started stringing together the prime numbered MP3s. Uh huh. And it was playing out the Father of the Bride soundtrack, like the score. That's crazy. And the, and the address in Pasadena is eight three nine South, whatever. That's so cool. Isn't that wild? You guys are smart. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Very smart. <laughs> How have you been? I've been good. I've been watching television. It's been <laughs> great. Not a lot more to say. I've been watching. Yeah, you a retired lot of- this week, right? <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Game of Thrones. Been catching up. Ugh, it's filth garbage. Filth? Why filth? Why filth, Russ? I have to explain why Game of Thrones is filthy. (laughs) 
apart from the incest and the horrible violence. Yeah, try to rejigger that moral compass inside of you and see if you can get a reading. I like it. Let me like things, John. Listen, you and the whole world. I know, I'm the weird one. That's true. Something happens on that show that drives me nuts every time I see it in a movie. It's Westeros, right? So it's this vaguely medieval England fake universe right. that is not our own. And all of their measurements of distance are in like, oh, well, where is it? Where? How far until we get to King's Landing? Right. Oh, it's 20 miles that way. I'm like, miles? So you're telling me the only places in this world or in all other worlds that use miles are the United States and Westeros. Because everywhere else on this planet, it's kilometers. Yeah, but Russ, hmm? doesn't that system come from the English royal family or something? The king, right? I didn't think so. I'm it's not pretty, American. It's used exclusively in America. Now, because the Brits aren't stupid, but I think they invented it. I really? think it's a if, very ancient system of measurement. If that's right, if that's true, that would be wonderful to know. Everybody, what's happening right now is that John is sitting in a car with a laptop on his lap, looking up the derivation of miles on I, my behalf. I typed who invented inches. <laughs> inches? Same thing. It's the same system. Stand it, sure. You yard. better hope it is. Okay, so get this. Yard. A yard was originally the length of a man's belt or girdle, as it was called. In the 12th century, King Henry I of England fixed the yard as the distance from his nose to his thumb of his right. outstretched arm. Okay, so that's yards. Yeah, but all of this, I forget what it's called. The English system? I know we got the metric. I forget what the inches system is called. I think it's called standard. Oh, that's nerve. Which is really funny because yeah. it is not. But King Henry I, I think, came up with all these kooky things. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that up some other time. Uh, this gets real confusing. Yeah. Uh, this is, <laughs> says now an inch was the width of a man's thumb. And yes, King I Edward II of England <laughs> ruled that one inch equaled three grains of barley placed end to end lengthwise. Sure. Somehow I'm thinking that Charlemagne had a lot to do with things. Too. Yeah, I can see that. Well, Charlemagne had his oh, thumb in a lot Char of pies. <laughs> I think Charlemagne, I think his foot was the first foot. I could be wrong about that. Oh. Yeah, there you go. Well, my point is, it makes sense. Game of Thrones sucks. <laughs> no, no. Well, yeah, sure. But my point is, around that time in England, they were using things like miles and inches. It. All right. All right. So, you know, pick your gripes. What was that? Old? Didn't we talk about grapes and gripes once on this show? It sounds like something we'd do. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> If you're telling me that I need to pick my gripes, I've really fallen a lot. Up is down, left is right. Westeros is Easteros. <laughs> we are here to talk about a very important episode of Mad About You, a John. A very special episode of Mad About You. This is Mad About Mad About You's 54th episode. We are talking about Season 3, Episode 8 of Mad About You, an episode titled giblets for murray happy thanksgiving john oh yeah happy thanksgiving rust you know it feels like it comes sooner and sooner every year it really does thanksgiving is my favorite holiday oh so yeah I, I forgot about that yeah this is another instance where i'm just like ah oh, this is a bonus a mid-year bonus for russ fader getting to celebrate a little bit of harvest festivals right smack dab in the middle of summer oh what'd you go to boston market today for lunch i did wait I did. really I, no Sorry. If you're looking to get a Thanksgiving meal on the quick and on the cheap, yeah, <laughs> that is the place to go. It's really pretty stunning. And also, oh. every time I go there, I'm just like, oh, I'm going to come here every day, and I don't know why I wouldn't. Well, it'll kill you. Sure. But. Oh, that's the reason. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, now that you're retired, who cares? <laughs> 
What did TV Guide have to say? TV Guide said, quote, When she invites Ten for Thanksgiving, Jamie's goose is cooked until the grocer comes to the rescue. I mean, this they've, is... They've cuckoo. never been more cutesy. Also, like, I... I know cooking a goose is a play on words, but it doesn't match. No, it does not. So I that's agree. my first issue. My second right. is when she invites 10 for Thanksgiving. Like, what is she, the host from Clue? Like, she just yeah. picks 10 random names out of a hat? No. Nobody's ever phrased. When Paul and Jamie have it. both their families over for Thanksgiving. Hello? Yeah. Why the mystery? When she invites 10 for Thanksgiving. Yeah, one. Anything can occur. <laughs> If anything, it was definitely your dad with the pipe in the bathroom. <laughs> hey, you're spoiling it. Don't spoil the end of this murder mystery. Also, until a grocer comes to the rescue, as if the pivotal moment of the episode is when yeah. Kim gives them the free turkey at the end. He breaks the door down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's an absurd, horrible description. This is one of the best episodes of Mad About You, and this is probably the worst description. I would be fascinated to know... If, when this was written, you know, the week before it was published, presumably, if TV mm -hmm. Guide had been bought by another company and internally had the culture changed in such a way where they were providing less time to good, interesting summaries and more time to things like advertising. Well, That's how major of a shift this feels like. <laughs> you think it starts from the top? Oh, it always starts from the top. Always. Always. Follow the money. Yeah, you know that's from uh, Nixon? I do. Wait, I didn't. I just learned. Are that. you saying the movie Nixon or? Yeah, yeah. Anthony Hopkins coined it on set because it's highly featured in all the president's men. Oh, I forgot about that. Yes, that movie is considering you have Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman, a little uh -huh. boring. I have actually not seen it, but well, you're I not mean, missing a ton. That's not what I hear. I've heard it's wonderful. From who? Your great uncles? Yeah. Oh well, that's <laughs> that's fair. It's of a time, maybe. How do you know my great uncle told me? <laughs> Listen, if Trump goes down and they make a movie about it and it stars two cans of tuna, we'll think it's the most riveting thing in the world. <laughs> I feel like I'm yelling in this thing like a sports announcer. Oh, my gosh. That's pretty great. Russ, say uh, I wasn't in the mood. I'm sick of Paul and Jamie. What else was on TV? What are you, nuts? You want to watch something else? Well, yeah, I I'm guess curious. If, I guess if you must. You're watching NBC. So, CBS tonight, I believe it began at 9 o'clock p.m., was part four Whoa. of, yeah, we had a mini-series event, and the event was Scarlet. Ooh. O'Hara? Mm -hmm. Yep, the very same. Which is different than the Scarlet letter, right? Yes. One's a person, and one is the letter A that means adulterer, and it's on the chest of a person. And the person whose chest it is on is not named Scarlet. No. That's the Has color. Yes. Red. Yes. It's not. But it is on a woman, It's not right? called the scarlet letter because, oh, that's scarlet. She wears that A. That's why the A is the scarlet letter. But that's not how woman. that happened. They brand a woman? They make a woman, Hester Prynne, wear. Hester Prim? Prin. P-R-Y-N-N-E. Oh, Prim. Yeah. There you go. Now you know it? No. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. no. yeah. <laughs> It doesn't matter. Tell me about um, Scarlett O'Hare. So it's Gone with the Wind. Yes, this is a sequel to Gone with the Wind. She's a morning TV host in New York City. <laughs> she's, but she's also a housewife. She's got a kid. Things didn't work out <laughs> with Rhett. She's, she's just, just a single to, mom trying to... Trying to make it day to day. I don't know. Here's what I wanted to do with this. Truth be told... Russ, we saw, all know what you wanted to do with this. Yeah, you don't know all of what I wanted to do because <laughs> okay. I have never seen 
me neither. gone with the wind. Yeah, me neither. And I saw that this was what I was going to talk about. And you were I like, I'm going to watch ago, both. And yeah, I was ready to watch four hours of Gone with the Wind and then four nights of Scarlet that for this. That would have been unbelievable. It would have been. Instead, I barely read the Wikipedia. Okay, so, well. <laughs> so that's where we are now. <laughs> I feel you. It's hard to dive into Gone with the Wind. It's like Schindler's List. or It's a lot. It's like, a lot. I've come I've, close, and I just can't I've, click it. I own it. It's in my house. Oof. I just got to watch the thing. You bought it? It was a gift because I told Jen's mom over and over again, I've never seen Gone with the Wind. And she said, sure. you've never seen Gone with the Wind? How many years ago did you get it as a gift? I'm going to say a half a decade. <laughs> oh, that's not that a ridiculous way to phrase it. <laughs> You're forcing that, the word decade. I did that just for you, basically. Uh, how long ago? Half a century. Half a century. Five years, you're fine. You think I'm okay? Yeah. I appreciate it. You're a good friend. This movie, or this miniseries, miniseries events are so great. Sure. I, think <laughs> I just love, I love the fact that it's like, if you are in for it, and if it's something you want to watch, the fact that it's... Because this aired November 13th, 15th, 16th, and 17th. So oh, it's just like, interest. That is fun. Yeah. So it's Like not every like night. Yeah. It's just what you do that week. And it's yeah. just, oh, I can't wait until tomorrow to find yeah, out what happens. Yeah, that's more fun. That's really fun. And that's the way... I think about it now. That's the way most of these work. That's the way miniseries often go. Right, it's not right, like right. It's not just... Four weeks, we're going to have this show on. Yeah, like, that's what make I it thought it was. Yeah, I thought that too. But then once I saw it, it yeah, once I, way, once I, I got like, educated, oh. I realized I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was like you, John. <laughs> I also thought that miniseries were on once a week. Then I wised up. It was based on a 1991 book written by Alexandra Ripley as a sequel to Margaret Mitchell's 1936 novel, Gone with the Wind. So now, we had talked about nerve. this in the past. Okay, we have. <laughs> We've talked about this with what was the play that oh the Ibsen wasn't there a Doll's House? Doll's House. 2? Oh, Doll's yeah. House too. Yeah, written by Lucas Snath, one of the greatest yeah. plays of the last season. Yeah, we talked about it when something similar to this happened. But yes. just the gall that it takes to be like, I think I know how to write a sequel. No, no, to Gone with the Wind. <laughs> I don't. Well, now that you brought up Doll's House too, it makes me wonder if this sequel actually has merit. Eh, I'm gonna say eh from what I read. Is it like, like right after the movie ends or is it like, does it jump time? You know, I'm not positive. Because it ends in the Civil War, right? Or like, short, isn't it shortly after the Civil War? It's Reconstruction in the movie? I believe so. That's the other thing about this. I was the like, book oh, well, let me. With the last nail. I'm like, let me read. Well, no. <laughs> so the first movie ends with, frankly, my dear. I, I don't, don't give, give a, damn. a damn. Yeah. And then Scarlet opens up with, well, maybe one damn I give. No. No, of course not. What I just oh, said is oh, ridiculous, oh, oh. John. I don't know. <laughs> you think the first line is, well... You've covered dumber stuff. <laughs> Wait, how did, you, how did this turn back around to being an insult to me? It's not. I'm just saying, you know, it's not you. That's true. Oh, who played Scarlett? Oh, Joanne Wally Kilmer played Scarlett O'Hara. Who's that? She is a British actress and the former wife of Val Kilmer. Oh, interesting. Yes. They divorced in 1996. Oh, that's a shame. Very, very sad. They met doing Willow. Have you seen Willow? Are you a Willow fan? No, I'm not a Willow fan. Really? That surprises me. I figured you'd love Willow. You know what bothers me? It's a made-up fantasy world, but they use quartz instead of leaders. <laughs> Willow's yeah. always going to get a gallon of milk. I'm saying, why aren't you getting a liter of milk? 
That's legitimate. That's a legitimate gripe. That's crazy. I understand. That is crazy. It's a pretty good me impression, by the way. <laughs> it what you know it won two Emmys? Oh, for hairstyling? Yeah. Not to diminish that, but Hair, no, for hair and art. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I you know, that. we love both we especially love art on this show, but we do. Timothy Dalton played uh Rhett Butler. Old Timmy D. Look, I like him just fine, but it is pretty funny that they're like Okay, all these years later, we're going to write a sequel to Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Then we're going to turn it into its own miniseries. We're going to replace... Who's going to play the role formerly played by the most handsome, charismatic man in the history of cinema? Oh, a dude who got booted after three James Bond movies for not being good at it. Ouch. I like Timothy Dalton just fine, but let's get real. That's very true. Yeah, from Clark Gable to Timothy Dalton. I mean, that is a precipitous fall. Who's Clark Gable again? Sorry, who's his wife? He played Rhett Butler. No. <laughs> oh, and what? The Scarlet prequel. No, this is a weird thing. That's right. I think he married Carol Lombard. That I sounds right. Think who died in a plane crash. And there's a bar between Vegas and Los Angeles in the middle of nowhere, sort of. There's like a tiny, tiny, tiny town now, and it's a it's a soft ghost town frankly. Okay. There's a bar there that we went to that still has the holes from, he found out the news while he was there drinking. Okay. And he kept putting cigarettes out in the bar. Wow. From anxiety and depression yeah. and they left it untouched. That is very, it's very specific. I, it's so specific that it must be true, but also I'm like, that seems like the sort of thing that you could lie about pretty easy. It is, but it's such a weird lie. I don't like that I'm being that cynical, because that's a really cool story. They also have that's... bullet holes in the wall from a shootout in the early 1900s. Oh, my goodness. This is one hell of a bar. And also, my buddy and I paid to have our names engraved in marble out back for the 100th anniversary, because there's only 100 bucks total, and it comes with a 40-person kegger, whatever we want. Not bad. And I keep forgetting we have it, because this was you know a couple you years done. You know, this was a while ago. <laughs> You know what you should have done is you should have put a cigarette out on that bar. Oh, listen, I can't, I can't, maybe Timothy Dalton should. <laughs> you put out a cigar. You're like, oh, you, you got to yeah. earn that. You got to earn that. One up Clark Gable. <laughs> Never. He'll haunt. He'll haunt. I don't need that kind of pressure. Yeah. Oh, he haunts, baby. He haunts. Big haunter. I love the fact that the plantation in Gone with the Wind has a name. It's called Tara. Spelled T-A-R-A. I didn't know that. I think that is so strange and weird. Because it's such a, it came around as such a modern, like, girl's name again? Maybe, but also just the fact, I don't know, just naming an estate with the name of a person, a person's name. Rather than, I guess, rather than just being like... Boy, the more you talk about this, the crazier you sound. I'm sure I do. I'm thinking also just like, uh, now I'm thinking about like, oh, well, Monticello. This is yes. people name places. Yes, that's correct. But also people I'm name like, places and people. So <laughs> the yeah, idea that I'm they'd like, overlap is not crazy. I'm like, just call it Thomas Jefferson's house. Just sure, call it Charlotte's sure. place. Yeah, TJ Maxx. <laughs> you should go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read the first paragraph of the Entertainment Weekly review of Scarlet. Okay. Great hair. <laughs> <laughs> The critic Dwight McDonald once described the 1939 movie of Gone with the Wind as, quote, a masterpiece of kitsch, corny, and blousy and phony, the slide trombone of the cinematic orchestra, and yet it is not boring. Oh, wow. McDonald intended this as a rave review. He liked the way Vivian Lee and Clark Gable 
And all of a sudden, I just got an ad for Entertainment Weekly popping up on my screen. So That's irritating, me. Entertainment Weekly. Very annoying. Hey, listen, we never want you as a sponsor. Got it? Never. Certainly not in the <laughs> middle of a podcast. <laughs> he liked the way Vivian Lee and Clark Gable turned Scarlett O'Hara and Rhett Butler into lively, vivid figures who combined romanticism and realism. Is this an accurate interpretation of that review? Because doesn't that review sound very negative? It does. That's doesn't what I'm saying. Like, writer it sound sounds delusional it by sounds saying negative. He's saying it was intended to be positive. Yeah, but how does he know? He's the pro. The I same don't trust mixture. Him. The same mixture has been attempted in the new eight-hour TV sequel to Gone with the Wind, Scarlet, but its proportions are off. Scarlet's romanticism is absurdly exaggerated, while its realism is the grim stuff of contemporary problem of the week telefilms. Wait, now how do I know that this guy doesn't mean this is high praise? (laughs) That's fair! (laughs) Well, here we go. If Gone with the Wind is the slide trombone of the cinematic orchestra, Scarlet is the tuba of TV movies. Ungainly and unsubtle. I hate this guy. He says how the other review is not what it seems and then just constantly draws the same comparisons to this thing. Yeah. But is saying, when I say it, I do mean it. I do mean it. Let's not get twisted. I didn't like this. Right. But also, you can never trust a reporter. (laughs) Yeah, I don't like this review at all. (laughs) Oh, man. That's Scarlet. Tell you what, Russ, I think I'm going to stick with Mad About You this week. I think I will, too. I think I'm probably pretty glad that I didn't watch 12 hours of programming for that. I think that's but, smart. Yeah, every now and again I do okay. John, what in the world is in the news? From WNBC TV, this is News 4 New York with Chuck Scarborough and Pat Harper. Dateline. Do, 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 do. Go ahead. Neighborhood Report, Park Avenue. Echoes of a lurid murder and fight over co-op sale. It was a lurid tale of gambling, prostitution, infidelity, and murder worthy of a penny dreadful. Did he use lurid in both the subheading and the first line of this article? Yeah, he used it both in the subheading and the first line. Clumsy. (laughs) I don't think so. I think deliberate. Fine. Maybe deliberate. I'm not into it. Continue. Fair. This happened on the Upper East Side when Mark Fine, a wealthy executive who lived with his wife and three children at 1095 Park Avenue. (laughs) What a louse. I hate him already. Why didn't they tell me the apartment number? (laughs) How am I supposed to egg his door if I don't have an apartment number? (laughs) Was convicted of killing his bookie three decades ago. Now that episode has been recalled in a legal dispute between Mr. Fine and his former wife over the recent $1.4 million sale of the nine-room Park Avenue apartment, which they bought in 1960 for about 60 grand. Huh. This guy was president. I love this. This is such a weird job. President of Fine Industries, so legacy. Sure. A manufacturer of cardboard and tin containers headed by his millionaire father. (laughs) What if he tried to bury that book in a cardboard casket? A little bit. But Mark Fine was also a compulsive gambler and under a false name rented a second apartment at 406 East 63rd Street with Carmela Lazarus, a prostitute and procurer. What's a procurer? Like professionally. Of what? Oh, like a mop person? Of things? I don't know what a procurer is. Like an antique? She was a hooker and had an antique shop? Yeah. She was a sex worker and she had an antique shop. Sorry, yes. Thank you. (laughs) So after Mr. Fine and two friends ran up nearly 24 grand, what about the two friends? In debts, betting on the Yankees. Yeah, where do they live? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) 
betting on the Yankees in the 1963 World Series. Do you know anything about that World Series, Russ? I don't. Yankees probably won. Well, I don't know. They ran up $24,000 in debts betting on the Yankees. Good. They deserve it. <laughs> he met with his bookie. Oh, this is a peach. Uh, forgive me. I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but what a name. Ruben Markowitz. Great. To settle up. <laughs> the bookie promptly disappeared, and later his corpse was found in the East River, shot Oof. four times, and the feet bound. Mr. Fine was charged with the crime. <laughs> I thought you said shot four times in the feet. I'm like, that is very specific. Oh, boy, And no. seemingly non-lethal. Oh, you're making me laugh. <laughs> This is sorry okay, this, about that. This is where the story goes off the rails a little and okay. makes me it's a little funny. The star witness, Mrs. Lazarus, accused him of stuffing the body into a shiny black trunk and with help from her and two others, these two friends again, I guess, mm-hmm. dumping it in the river with a big splash. When the body <laughs> later surfaced, she chided him, quote, didn't you ever hear of cement? Oh, man. That sounds very Scorsese. Yeah, I know. Right. He was sentenced <laughs> to 30 years to life in Sing Sing. His marriage dissolved. Oh, I would would think so. He was released in 1977 and remarried and returned to his family business, Cardboard and Tin. Wow. Can't keep a good man down, John. Well, listen, I skimmed this article earlier. I thought the cement quote was funny. Turns out it's the only interesting part of that story. Next. Beautiful. (laughs) Next. Dateline. Go ahead. 36 accused of committing violent crimes in quest to join mafia. We're familiar. Okay. You're familiar with this concept, right? You have to like prove that you can be a gangster before you get into the gang. Sure. So these people, it's like what's his name, the Richie Aprile and his friends in The Sopranos when they try to knock off that poker game right. to show that they can take some responsibility. Yep. Yep. This is the it real life version. Well. Never, never goes never well. Goes They're known in the underworld as wannabes. I mean, listen, times. They're known that... everywhere as wannabes. Yeah. I'm yeah. Like... <laughs> They're known in middle school as wannabes. Yeah, if you refer to somebody as a wannabe, I think we get what's going on. (laughs) Ambitious criminals. Oh, this coded language. (laughs) What's the deal with a wannabe? Oh, they want to be something. And if someone just said that apropos of nothing in in a baseball game, you wouldn't be like, oh, no, he's saying he wants to be in the mafia. (laughs) Wait, are we the Spice Girls song? Is that all about the mafia? (laughs) What's that song again? If You Want to Be My Lover. Oh, yeah. If You Want to Be My Lover. Yeah. Right. It's called Wannabe. Yeah. It's the Gumar song. It's... <laughs> That's the parenthetical title. Yeah. The Gumar song. Wannabe. <laughs> the Gumar song. Ambitious criminals who hope to become full-fledged mafia members by committing violent crimes and sharing their spoils with mob leaders. Before dawn yesterday, federal agents and New York City officers swept up 36 men they identified as, quote, wannabes and accused them of engaging in dozens of hijacking, street robberies and narcotics deals and selling machine guns and automatic weapons to mobsters and other criminals in the city. Now, this is where, again, this might be the only good part, but boy, is this part good because this is real. Just so you know, everyone, this is real in the charges. Agents and prosecutors listed a bevy of street names that were commonly used by some defendants. Oh, I didn't know we were going to get names. <laughs> Including Sal the Geep, <laughs> Tony the Nose. Great. Jack Five Hands. Oh, man. Maddie Square and Blonde Joe. <sighs> Wives Look. of the two men were also arrested. Wives of two of the men. Those are some great names, but you really got to, that's poor heightening. You really got to close with Five Hands. Agree. Jack Five Hands is the best. Tony the Nose is my second favorite because that sure. genuinely sounds like a cartoon mafia guy. Yes. With a That's long nose. Yeah. 
There are no ironclad guidelines for joining a mafia family, but law enforcement ex- experts say that a candidate... So everyone, get your pencils out. Get your pencils and your papers. If you're a wannabe, you want to join the mob. Well, look, uh, you know, I was going to say I love that it. it's like, there are no ironclad ways. It's whatever. It's different everywhere. And it's like, yeah, of course it is. It's the mafia, but also... Yeah, right. No, it's like no, show business, very, Russ. It's everyone has specific. Yeah, everyone has their own route, but you still need a headshot. Sure. <laughs> Headshot's a different thing in the mafia. <laughs> they say you can traditionally prove your mettle by, quote, making his bones a lengthy ritual of exhibiting loyalty through brutal crimes if necessary. Yeah, so doing a hit. Yeah. Anywho, that's all been <laughs> broken up pretty much, so that's good. Great job, people oh, breaking up the mafia. Oh, this is fascinating. Salvatore Candela and Anthony Persichetti were listed in the complaints as leaders of the largest ring with 24 members based in Bensonhurst. Okay. FBI agents said the gang hijacked nine delivery trucks of the Globe Wholesale Tobacco and Candy Company. Sure. Because its owners refused to make payoffs so they can be no family. Tobacco and Candy Company? I get that because, you know, you've got cigar shops and you've got candy stands there, too. So that's why those things are linked, but... Candy stands? Yeah. What are you talking about? You've been to tobacco shops. Candy stand, candy stand, candy stand! Oh, my God! (laughs) John, this guy in the mirror is trying to sell I me. Where to go? Um, yeah. I'm looking at you in FaceTime. You're wearing sunglasses because you're in LA and in your sunglasses. There's a guy you're... trying to sell me a Snickers. <laughs> it's crazy. It's terrifying. <laughs> okay. I didn't know. Uh, wait, are you just BSing or are you saying real stuff? No, no, no. Like, I remember going, my dad's a cigar smoker. Uh-huh. And uh, out on Long Island, every now and again, we would go to cigar shops, and I would go in with him, and in the back, there'd be cigars, and then out in front, there'd be all sorts of Oh, Russ, that is a story right out of, like, a, uh, well, really, Paul Buckman's childhood, it feels like. Yeah, you're probably right. That one where he steals the candy. I don't know if that was a cigar shop, though, but I, I could thought see about it. all, it's funny that we're talking about it now, like, I thought about this for the first time in years, maybe three weeks ago i had a memory about of doing that and like i would go and i would also that's how i got into mad magazine and crack magazine because they had those on sale wow. so i'd go my dad would say go in the cigar shop want to come with and i'd go and I'd get mad magazine and then i would bother i would be like oh they've got a history of mad magazine coming to barnes and noble i better call barnes and noble every hour on the hour to find out if my order has arrived yet wow <laughs> Because uh, the it's most just the fader kid again. Yeah. No. No, no. weird kid. <laughs> this book is going to disappoint you. Relax. <laughs> Dateline. Do, 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 do. Go ahead. Behind the Macy Thanksgiving Parade. Ooh, how apt. How topical. Removed from this. Well, I'll cut to the chase. Did you know <laughs> that where they store the balloons used to be a Tootsie Roll factory? No. That's. That really caught my eye. <laughs> Year-round in the Hoboken warehouse, some 20 people, carpenters, welders, electricians, painters, sculptors, labor as much as three months at a time on the newest parade floats. It didn't wow. occur to me that people were working year-round on these, but they are. I mean, it totally makes sense that they would, but I also don't think about it. Yeah, so for the, some people, every day's Thanksgiving. That's true. What lucky folks. <laughs> There's, I'll tell you who it's Thanksgiving for every day, and that's the good folks at Liberty Bell Tavern in Disney World, where every day... Oh, right. Every day you can get Thanksgiving dinner. And when Jen and I go down there, uh huh, you can bet we do that. Ah, oh, it's the best. That's wonderful. The best, Jerry. The best, Jerry. New and restaged floats like the 15-foot-wide Statue of Liberty from which Bob Hope and his wife Dolores will wave to the parade crowds. Dolores! 
And the two <laughs> newest mammoth balloons, Barney and Dr. Seuss's cat in the hat. Oh, Barney, that stupid dinosaur. I thought it was yeah. Barney Rubble for a second. And I was like, no. whoa, he, he shot to the neat. top somehow. <laughs> like, we only have space for one Flintstone float this year, and it's going to yeah. be Barney. Barney. The mid-90s comeback of yeah. the, the second banana. <laughs> Barney Rubble gets his own show. Speaking of cigar shops and the Flintstones, have you ever seen those old Flintstones commercials for cigarettes? No. Back when it was They're a smoking prime, in the cartoon? Back when it was a primetime show, mm-hmm. not only were they smoking in the cartoon, they were selling cigarettes. That's like amazing. Fred and Barney being like, ah, oh, this is a nice, this filter gives it a nice smooth flavor. I could smoke a pack oh. of these all the time. I would have smoked weirdest. my face off if I'd seen that. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> so rich and natural, Fred. Yeah, that sort of thing. Russ. Yeah. That's really good. Was that pretty good? That's really good. I haven't thought of what Barney Rubble sounds like. That is in decades. Exactly. Several halves of decades. That's very good. Well, thank you. You have that. Put that in your little bag of tricks. <laughs> I will. I'm thrilled that it well, two things. First of all, I'm thrilled that it was recorded. Secondly, I am very scared of listening back to it and being like, oh no, I don't sound like him at all. Oh, I was being <laughs> we sarcastic. Were, we were <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't wait to pimp you out of parties because that is a very good impression. I think it's a very good impression. I haven't heard it in years either, but I'm pretty sure that's exactly it. That's it. Well, thank you. Uh, that's enough. Let's go. <laughs> I'm dying to talk about this episode, right? So yeah, who cares let's about get into the- it. Hey, frankly, who cares about the news this week? I don't. I certainly don't. You the know, if there's is- one day a, w- a year we can take off the news, it's Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving. This is the first big, like, this is the biggest episode we've done of this show so far. You know how I know how? How? We solicited comments, as we've been doing we every week. We did. And every single person who commented, including uh, Sarah, Tracy, Mike, and Brian on Facebook, mm-hmm. said it was their favorite episode. They sure did. So did Tracy. No, Tracy on Twitter didn't, or uh, Lauren on Twitter did not say that. Oh, very interesting. I would agree with Lauren. Let it be known, Lauren on Twitter hates this episode. Yeah. Hi, Lauren on Twitter. <laughs> No, but many people, and I, you know, I've talked to people in the past about the podcast, and they said they wanted to guest on it when we yep. did this episode because everybody so wanted much. to. Yeah, and they're not here, obviously, but just to illustrate. What if they were in the back of your car right now? <laughs> yeah, they're sleeping. They don't know. <laughs> they don't know what's going on. Yeah, no, this is a widely loved episode. Do you love this episode? No, no, I didn't love it. I enjoyed it, but I didn't. I was. It was over. I was bracing for me. myself. I was bracing myself for that. Do you love it? I do love it. Partly because of nostalgia. I mean, probably there are the things in it. It's very funny to me where I feel like there are things in the episode that if they were to happen on different episode of the show, mm-hmm. I'd be very mad at the episode right. for being unrealistic sure or that's nonsense and i'd pick those nits well Russ, and, we, yeah go ahead sorry yeah and i was just like mm, no, but i'm like for this episode i'm in for it well and it i was like i'll one. bet john won't be no no yeah. it wor- that stuff works in this one for me because yeah. what we have here is a classic french, french farce farce it's a french farce <laughs> <laughs> the way the reason that John said that and the way that I knew that John was going to say that because it's obvious Russ those of us <laughs> all who are very familiar with the the classic French farce which involves people farce. as you know coming in and going out doors all the time and and it's classic 
So our friend Professor Richard Brown from NYU did. You all remember interview. the one who called that moment in the previous episode? What was it? Sexy? Erotic? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> involving an exquisite leg of Christy Brinkley. Professional pornographer. And Which academic. Is, again, it's fine. You know what? I'm not going to denigrate professional pornographers by lumping Professor Richard Brown from NYU in with them. Yeah. The you amateurs can go to hell. Oh, yeah. But anyway, the NYU guy is back talking to uh, Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt, and he calls it a traditional French farce. Four times in five minutes. And that's his opener, sort of, too. He's like, yeah. okay, well, first we got to address the elephant in the room. Yeah. This is such a French farce. <laughs> Russ, what are these French farces? I feel like I didn't have to take a history class when I studied theater in college. Maybe I should have. Like, is Moliere farce? Yes. It's boring, Moliere, though. Well, have you ever seen it? Yeah, I saw The Miser in Berkeley years ago. Did it bored you? It was a fine production, but it just wasn't like... If the French invented it, let's say the Brits perfected it. So a second ago, this is also classic John, a second ago, you're like, <laughs> what is this? And now you're like, oh, well, if they made it up, these other guys did it perfect. Well, Noises Off and the Alan Akeborn farces are way better than... Those are wonderful modern... But also, that's true to say, like, yeah, well, Moliere wrote this stuff ages ago. I hear you, but so did Shakespeare, you know? and he had a lot of farcical elements, too. They just didn't have doors. Well, they had uh, holes. Yeah. They had openings. Well, that's just, yeah, oh, well, holes are traditional British farce. Doors <laughs> are traditional French farce. <laughs> I thought you were smart. I don't know. I got a couple of French holes in my apartment. <laughs> they really op they opened the place up. <laughs> Helen Hunt then talks about how she says desperate people are funny. That's a funny thing that she says uh, right. about this episode. And Paul Reiser lets us know, if we learned one thing on that show, a pet standing on a table is going to get a laugh. Uh, that's like a fun old little vaudeville trick sound, yeah. sounding like tip. Basically, yeah. We got a great Murray story mm -hmm. in this where apparently... Very awkwardly told. Yes, strangely told. What is with this awful... So, audience... Uh, what are, <laughs> Listeners... I've never watched one of these behind the scenes. I mean, I watched them years ago because they were on YouTube, but I haven't mm -hmm. watched them during this podcast. And Russ reminded me that there is one for this episode, so I made sure to watch it. Russ, they're very uncomfortable to me. You think so? Yes. Nobody seems super pleased with the conversation. I think it's because Professor Richard Brown is very bad at what he's doing. I think he's not. Yeah, I don't think he's great at interviewing. Yes, he doesn't need to be there. I just want to see Paul and Helen talk to each other about the show. Because they're talking in a very awkward... Like, the way she tells this story is so weird. Yeah. Like, just say groin. <laughs> yes. The story is... So, Paul... Before the pilot, Paul Reiser's sitting on the floor, and he's got a dog playing Murray sitting between his legs. Yeah, it seems like they're rehearsing, maybe, or... Yes. It's, yeah, they're rehearsing the pilot. A few hours before the audience comes in. Yes. And I think the dog's name was Smiley, let's say. It was, and he's I credited think, yeah. on IMDb in the pilot. Yeah. Even though he got canned. Paul swings his leg over the dog to get up. And as he's swinging his leg over the dog, the dog bites at his groin. And Helen Hunt says the dog, quote, wanted to take a very important part out of Paul Reiser. Yeah, it's so weird. Yeah. So they had to hustle and get another dog very quickly. And that's how we wound up with Maui. I feel like I could picture Maui sitting by the pool <laughs> with like a bevy of female dogs. <laughs> Oh, yeah? He's <laughs> and the phone rings. Oh, yeah. And he's like, tell him my quote just doubled. 
<laughs> see, I can see the other way where it's just like, oh, man, what am I going to do? He's on the phone with his folks. Oh, interesting. He's waiting in the chicken restaurant that Michael J. Fox was in when he got family ties. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's sitting by the payphone. He's just like, what am I going to do? I have to move back to Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Maui's Canadian? Michael J. Fox is, and we all know oh, that I Maui forgot, was right, Michael yeah. J. Fox's dog in That's this right. fake scenario. Yeah. <laughs> they both so, got yeah. calls at the same time? <laughs> now, that's a great movie. A fake biopic about Michael J. Fox and his pet dog, who's also an actor, struggling <laughs> in Hollywood in the 80s. <laughs> sweepstakes, name this fake movie. <laughs> that's a good sweepstakes. Yeah. I'm and then, you. make it. Yeah, That's a greater sweepstakes. So, yes. So, then we get into... So, let's talk about the episode itself. Okay. Who wrote, who directed? Mr. David Steinberg, the Jewish Steve Martin. Jewish Steve Martin. Welcome back. And the teleplay was by Jeffrey Cleric, mm -hmm. but the story was by both Jeffrey Cleric and Billy Grundfest. So, we have a couple of classic... Billy Grundfest is back. Welcome back. Yeah, he's been gone a while, hasn't he? Yeah, it felt that way. Yeah, but also, I guess, with the every other week schedule... Sure. It's been four but, episodes or so, right? Eight episodes, I don't know. It's been at least this, I don't remember this him season? doing anything this season. Oh, interesting. I'm not positive, but I don't remember. It's been a Grunfest-free season, I think. Yeah, he's a welcome present. We Absolutely. love him here at the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and Cleric, baby. I'm a big Cleric fan. Yeah, he's great. So, the episode opens. We've got a cold open. The alarm is going off. It is 525 in the morning. It is still dark. Paul and Jamie get out of bed and silently walk across the entire apartment into the kitchen. Paul goes to the fridge. Jamie goes to the oven, opens the oven, turns on the oven. Paul takes a turkey out of the fridge, puts it into the oven. They both silently walk back across the apartment and get back into bed, spooning and going back to sleep. You know, it's one of the first times I can think of where the cold open is this integral to the plot of the episode. Yeah. Normally, they skip a cold open if the first scene is involving the story. That's true. But because there's such a big time gap between this scene and the rest of the episode, they were able to make yeah. it a cold open. Yes, it is very separate. It's its own thing. Also, it's so economical. Is that the right word? Yes, they get a lot out of a little. The radio says Thanksgiving. They put a yep. turkey in the oven. We know their ho We know everything. Yep, we do. We don't know why the oven isn't preheated. They're putting that turkey into yeah, a Yeah, that confused me, too. Oven. Though, are they? Oh, because she didn't have mitts on, right? Nope. You don't need mitts, though, to put it no, on. No, but she turned it on. Unless she, she did was turn preheating it, on, right? it Unless she was preheating it all night. Well, what if they woke up two hours before the... No, preheating takes, what, 15 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe they were up 15 minutes maybe. prior. <laughs> I love that. I love that part of this is just like... So what, Russ? So you want to see her wake up? You want that to be the cold open? She wakes up. She goes and preheats. Yeah. Preheats the oven. And then scene one of the episode proper is they put in the turkey to cook. Yeah. And then we got a commercial. <laughs> this is why they had two guys on the story credit. <laughs> Jeffrey Cleric's like, you got to show the preheating. You and do Billy's not. like, they're idiots. They don't care. Just show him the turkey. Uh, we're supposed to host it's specific. It's Run cold. Fest. It's Larrick. cold, Run Fest. So we come back after the credits. And, yeah, Paul and Jamie are getting ready for Thanksgiving. Paul's wearing glasses. A rare Paul yeah. wearing glasses episode when he is not working. He's not working. And we learned that Ira is supposed to be at the parade. They're watching a tape of the Thanksgiving Day Parade. They say. I feel bad because I assumed 
he was there because he was going to try and pull some publicity stunt for the sporting goods store, like a gorilla style, you know, like yeah. He had some T-shirt on. He was going to go run it through it or something. Either that or I thought like, oh, he got some dumb gig like he's just doing a bit part in some, I don't know, some big company has something and he's just going to be waving a flag or something like that. (laughs) Is that vague enough? No, it's too specific. Every single word that I've ever known flew out of my head. (laughs) And that's what happened. No, I mean, we all had that job out of college, right? Where some large company would hire me to uh, wave a flag on a float. That is a thing that happens during the Thanksgiving Day Parade, is that people, actors... Hey, kid, come here. Can you yeah. hold a flag? Can you hold a flag? <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. Okay, here's eight bucks. Get Here's eight bucks. Oh, man. Turns out so, his band's playing, so no, I, band, I, we yeah, both underestimated him. We did. We'll talk later we'll about get what his band it. is playing, sure. and we'll realize that we are not really underestimating him because this is a crappy gig. Well, I but, like Turkey <laughs> in a Straw, but... <laughs> of course you do, Joe. It's you catchy. Miracle. So, they are taking out sculptures and things, they, like gravy boats, things to use during dinner, right. and they have been gifted to them by family. And right. we learned that Jamie's mom got Paul and Jamie some sort of strange fish sculpture. It's not really clear what it is. Yeah, doesn't seem to hold anything. No, it is atrocious, and they are trying to decide what to do with it. And Jamie says, if it's not out there, we have to put it out. If it's not out, she'll start smiling. If she smiles, she's hurt. If she laughs, she's pissed. If she gets bubbly, it's every man for himself. So she is warning us about how her mom behaves in yeah. social situations. It's just this whole scene, and it's not bad, because they keep it mm-hmm. very active, but you can right. just tell, and this is, again, classic French farce. Sure. All, all the setups are coming one after another in the beginning. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. It's just like, I gotcha. She's going to be smiling the whole time, and it's like, what's wrong? Right. Yeah. Like, each thing is, like, Lisa's now a vegetarian, because Lisa calls and she's a vegetarian, so it's like, Lisa's going to be picky about the food. Yeah. It's, it's you know. It's, it's so funny how you're, I'm like, this is just them telling a story. This is how scripts work. Uh, you're right, but I can see them smuggling the things in and it's bothering me. Okay. I think the problem is I shouldn't have watched that documentary before I watched the episode. I should have watched it after. That's very interesting. It put a bad taste in my mouth, I think. Okay. I blame this on the doctor. <laughs> Another thing that Jamie's doing differently this year is she is making fresh cranberries rather than canned cranberries. Here comes the trope alert. Paul says, my mother always made cans. I like that line. Yeah, what? that's a fun line there. We'll get to the trope in a little bit, yeah? Or is it right now? I mean, it's constant. I don't know. Just involving the fact that, hey, I and like And it's not their fault. They're first, I think, with this. But I think so. Just the whole, like, oh, someone new's taking on Thanksgiving, and they have a menu. And then, oh, everyone that's coming over has their own little peculiar tradition that they really... I like this other thing, yeah. Yeah, you know, and then it's like, oh, I'm not going to do it. And then it's like, oh, I got to do it. Right. Yeah, that's what happens. That's all. You can see it coming a mile away. But it's not their fault. You know, I think they, because I'm thinking of the Friends one when I say this. And Friends, it came after this. Or did it come the same night? That would be a nightmare if they did the exact same kinds of jokes, like one after another. I think both shows did okay. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) 
Maybe Nightmare's a little strong. <laughs> oh no, Mad About You already did Thanksgiving yeah. dinner jokes. I guess we're going to get buried and not become a <laughs> sensation for the next 11 years that would just and be... wind up getting paid a million dollars a week. Okay, all right. It's a less perfect day in TV heaven. <laughs> so Lisa calls and Jamie gives Paul a potato to peel. Hello, I'm in the middle of cooking. Lisa, you're not a vegetarian. <laughs> oh, since when? Honey, honey, fast, 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 fast. <laughs> oh, come on. This is just a hostile act against Daddy, and you know it. Oh, maybe because he's a butcher? Didn't she pay somebody for this? No, we're not going to have salad. No salad? Every Thanksgiving, my mother made salad, and every year, nobody ate it. Sweetie, it's like you can't do it too fast. Bing, bing, bing. <laughs> I love this potato peeling bit. Because he's so bad at it? Because he's so bad at it, and I think she's just so funny. I don't think I've peeled a vegetable since then without thinking, fast, 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 fast. You Wait, cannot really? do this too fast. Bing, bing, bing. Yeah. Oh, you remember watching this a long time ago? Yeah, this episode is in me. I see. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Wow. I remember the deli scenes from a long time ago. That's it. I remember the deli scenes. I even remember, like, later on when Paul and Jamie's fathers are both in the bathroom and Jamie's dad closes the door and approaches Bert to talk to him. And then right before he talks to him, he kind of like puts his hand out and there's no line. And then we cut back to the kitchen. I remember that cut just be. Yeah. Wow. So like, I know this episode. So Lisa has decided that she's a vegetarian and she needs a vegetarian lasagna. And they also need to buy a bag of ice. Now this. Do you have this clip? Because this is one of my favorite lines in the episode. I think it's not there yet. OK. But you, it's coming. I can't and I wait. I think I've got it. And if we don't. I'm, I'm going to put it, it in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you want to talk about things that are in me. This has given me a complex. Really? Yes. Okay, tell everyone, including me, what you're talking about. Well, they, I think I know. <laughs> just basically later on, we're going to get to it. But the concept of buying ice and being like, oh, well, we have ice and ice is free. Why do we need to buy ice? Sure, sure, sure. And now anytime I need to buy ice... I'm just like, I, I can't buy it. It's free. We should just do that. Why am I buying ice? For, and it's $2 for a bag of ice. Right. But I'm just like, I what's what's all this? I, I, I don't need to do this. Yeah. No, you people make me crazy. <laughs> people like me? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Like people who won't pay for parking, even though it's like a dollar. <laughs> it's like make your life easier. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Jen was sitting watching this with me. And whenever the ice came up, she just. <sighs> wow, it really is a big part of your life, huh? Yeah, because I do this, and Jen's just like, just please buy ice. Please buy this ice. I mean, I don't buy it day-to-day. -day. That's insane. I'm with you. Not day-to-day, -day, but every now and again. Yeah, sure, if you need it. Yeah, If you know, you oh, do. this is going to be a big ice weekend. Big ice. We're having a big ice weekend. <laughs> this is the BIW. <laughs> So wait, so what were you going to, where are we? I'm sorry, I screwed it no, up. No, just, they mentioned the buying ice there, and then later, there's a further line about buying ice. <laughs> it's like we're trying to spell words in front of the kids. <laughs> what were you going to say? When Paul talks about how he's been making ice. Okay, go for it. Talk about that. Where's my ice? I needed the room in the freezer. We'll buy ice. I've been working on ice for two weeks. <laughs> That's just my favorite line in the episode. That's all. <laughs> That's all I have to say. It's just that you like it, that he's been working on this ice for two weeks. Yes, and it's been a little passion project of his. <laughs> and it keeps going. That is good. Yes. Like the line is so long and it goes all the way. I was up nights making ice. 
because I know that routine also. Yeah. I bought an ice container for the freezer so that I could dump the ice tray ice into it and make more ice. Otherwise, because that's the problem. That's the problem with the model. Everyone has these ice trays. It's like if you had to keep cars that you built in the factory line and couldn't drive them to the parking lot. It's like, well, until we sell a car, we can't make (laughs) a new car. Yeah. Yeah. We had one of those too. A bucket. Yeah, a bucket. A catch-all. Yes. Yeah, an ice, an ice bucket. Ice. What is everyone else's experience <laughs> with ice? <laughs> hey, Russ, do we have a podcast here, a spinoff, where we just talk about ice? Yeah. I can't yeah, think we... of anything more riveting than this. And I took us here. <laughs> John, you ready to feel worse about it? You're sitting in a car in California paying to park there so that you could talk about ice to That's strangers. True. To strangers? How do you? Yeah. Oh, indirectly to strangers. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they don't feel like strangers. That's true. High rise, guys. High rise, gals. <laughs> we love you. So they're going to buy Brussels sprouts for Fran. And we learned that Ryan is with Mark. Yeah. When did he become father of the day of the year? I don't know. When did he become father of the day? That day. Yeah. It's a daily, it's a daily award. I also give. just feel like they're in a strip club somewhere in like Utah. <laughs> Could be. Like this guy, I'm like just, frankly, I'm just happy that he got mentioned. Ryan? Yes, that we're acknowledging that yeah. he exists and is still alive. Yeah, there is something about young sons on TV shows. Yeah, they don't like make that it. was a running bit on Homeland with Damian Lewis's son. Oh yeah, I think it was that character because he, had a, were he running had a son. Bits on Homeland? No, no, I mean like Tumblr. There was like a meme. Oh, okay. Going around about how his son was always like he'd never be in a scene, and then he'd walk into the room, and then they'd always be like, "Leave us alone," or what? Like we need to talk. <laughs> sure. He was always being sent out of rooms. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. And then on the Americans, it's sort of a similar thing. It's like sons on TV shows are neglected more than daughters because the daughters Lots have better kids. plot lines. Uh, what I'm saying is men need stronger plot lines in TV <laughs> shows and movies. Thank you for being so brave to say something about it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, Finally. So, yes. So we go to the market where Kim says. New actor, by the way. Is it a new actor? I couldn't recall. Now it is. Because I looked it up. I forgot we'd been here, which is crazy. But I literally wrote, where is this deli? And then I thought, oh, yeah, we've been here. <laughs> we've been here a lot. Once. We've been here once. We've been here twice. No, once. Once? No. Twice in the same episode, maybe. Two-part episode, the finale last season. Oh, that doesn't count. Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah. You're right. Well, anyway, now the character Kim is played by Ping Wu, who, I don't know, did his voice sound familiar to you? It did. I couldn't place it. And also, I Does I just his know name sound familiar to you? His actor name? His real name? Was he Ping from Seinfeld? He sure was, baby. He's great. He sure was. Ping with the Peapods. With the Peapods. <laughs> you dropped the Peapods? <laughs> Oh, man. No, no, no. You saved the Peapods? That's what it was. <laughs> Poor Ping. Yeah, Ping Wu. He's great in this. And he's still everywhere. I didn't realize. It's crazy because I was looking at the resume and I was like, I've seen all those things, but I don't remember. Uh, like, he's in Silicon Valley. He's been in several episodes of Silicon really? Valley. Yeah, yeah. He's How on cool. everything, man. This guy is prolific. Ping Wu. Good job, Ping. Yeah. He's great in this. He says, we have nine turkeys. And I'm sorry. He says, we have nice turkeys. And Paul says, as do we. And then he's selling the ice. And he says, ice, my biggest profit margin. Just water, cold, and time. I love that. That is such a tried and true formula. It's pretty great. And you know, the time is the most expensive. Look at you, Mr. Philosophy. You go out west, you become a Buddha. Uh (laughs) Oh, let's not. What is it called? When you steal a culture. 
Appropriate? Yeah, yeah, well, it's not appropriate now. Yeah, I had that word at the ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's tattooed on your forehead. <laughs> so It says appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> so we go back to the apartment, and Paul's parents are there. They have arrived very early. Great surprise. Great surprise. Sylvia is as passive-aggressive as ever, and neither she nor Bert can believe that they purchased ice. Sylvia thinks that she sees Ira on TV, and Paul corrects her, nope, it's Clint Black. Now this, I had to Google, but it rang a bell. Country star Clint Black. I prefer to think of him as former celebrity apprentice contestant sure. Clint Black. You are entitled to. I found a clip of him talking about... <laughs> Talking about Donald Trump's candidacy in 2015. Oh, yeah? Big supporter? No, but oh, also no? not very... You could tell he really didn't want to get... I think he was unhappy. He was asked this, probably. Yeah. <laughs> he really didn't want to get into it. Oh, boy. It's the most diplomatic... And also, it was a little early. Sure. Like, this was right after he announced... It was right. already, it was clear. And this, he alludes to it. Yeah. He says, listen, the only real story I have is before the Celebrity Apprentice, we all played some golf and he was a great host and he would come visit us. But then it's just so, it's not funny, but what he says now that we know what he's like, it's just mm -hmm. so in line. He's like, he would come out to us, you know, every few holes mm -hmm. and just talk about the improvements he'd made and <laughs> how well the golf course was doing. <laughs> And I was like, that's what he does with, like, with the Japanese everything. prime minister. Like, he does with it with everything. everyone. <laughs> oh, my God. And he said, you know, I think uh, he has a big ego, and that may serve us well because he really needs to win, and maybe having that urge to win will be good for the country. Who knows? I do. <laughs> I knew. I know and I knew. He also said, I, like everyone, I'm still figuring it out. Oh, boy. <laughs> He's a nice guy, though. I think oh, he got into it with Joan Rivers. Oh, well, then he can go to hell. Yeah. Joan forever. But she was pretty tough on that show. I think she won. I don't remember. I watched every episode of Apprentice Doesn't multiple like times. <sighs> You're right. Do you watch The Regular Apprentice also? That one's way better. Yes, I agree. Because I The Regular Apprentice. For... They're truly, they worship him and are dying to work for him. Yes. Which makes the show so much more interesting and dramatic. Well, for me, it's a little bit of both. Like, they really want it and they want that to be their career. But then the flip side is it's there's something very demeaning and fascinating about watching, like, Gene Simmons from Kiss <laughs> be like, Please, Mr. Trump, please don't fire me. I really want to keep working for you. Yeah, but they barely do it. Half the celebrity cast, they're just like, you know what? <laughs> I quit. <laughs> All right, bye. I don't need this. Anyway, I don't want to give this show or this guy any more airtime on my podcast. Everyone watch The Apprentice. Buy the DVDs. <laughs> Go to Amazon. Buy the full series. It's $400. It is well worth it. Ugh. Donate to Trump for America. <laughs> You can watch them on YouTube. If you do, I implore you to donate to the campaign. To <laughs> I don't the like this line of joking. <laughs> All right. We so have fun here. Turkey for Gibbons. One of us do. So <laughs> Turkey for Murray. Yes. So oh, Clint Black. Murray. Right. Oh, Clint the other Black. funny thing before when they saw Ira, they said, no, that's Robert Stack, which I thought was. Yes, that's right. The funniest possible name. That's a good one, too. Because not only is he the most non-Semitic looking person in the world? Mm. It's like, why would he be why in the parade? Like, yeah. it's such a good, ugh. It's a good line. 
the funniest name. <laughs> yeah, it turns out that Ira is part of a group. His band is going to be in the parade. They're going to be dressed as pilgrims playing turkey in the straw. How's that go again, though? I forgot. Ba -ba 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 oh, no, turkey in the straw is the dueling banjos? No, that's dueling banjos. <laughs> the turkey in the straw. <laughs> <laughs> turkey in the straw turkey in the straw hi ho the mario no that's farmer in the dell listen i know i like this song i don't remember how it goes yes yes yeah carry okay whoa whoa we're gonna have to pay for this turkey in the straw that's great. Second verse. So I love that. Anyway, song. John, I love that song, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I wish the Spice Girls sang that. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to check iTunes. Ah, you know what I wish? I wish Michael Jackson sang that. I'd like that video. <laughs> oh, my God. So Paul and Jamie announce that they're going to do buffet. And Sylvia says, and why is that, honey? Which yeah. is a Ooh. wonderfully passive. Ooh, is it line. cutting? The way she says honey is so demeaning. Oh, it's just the worst. He's also, so the way to watch. she says buffet. They everybody, all do. All the moms everybody do. Everybody this whole episode says buffet. It's so weird. It's crazy. I'm like, that's not the way this word is pronounced. So why didn't they get this note? Maybe they were alluding to Phoebe Buffet because Friends was new. Maybe. That's the only thing that I can think of. That seems very unlikely. <laughs> Oh, man. So we go to the kitchen where Jamie made a sweet potato mousse, and that mousse was the same recipe that Martha Stewart of Martha Stewart's Apprentice. Oh, that's right. That was quite a season. And of prison. Yes. <laughs> Martha Stewart made this mousse for Willard Scott. And now, who's that? I know he's a Today Show host. Yeah. Is he the guy who would announce Smucker's birthdays? Yes. I tried to watch like a little thing they put together for him on the show when he was retired a couple of years ago. <laughs> and it was Tom Brokaw immediately followed by Matt Lauer. <laughs> My head exploded. Oh <laughs> I turned it off. I couldn't. Oh, boy. I couldn't do it. That's <laughs> like, what Let a me... nightmare show. Yeah. It turns out, the, oh, the things we've learned, Johnny. Yeah. But he oh, was, man. he seemed like a nice guy, right, Willard? I remember yeah, those. People, it's people a like Smuckers. Bobby Tombstone is turning 111 <laughs> from Chattanooga, wow, Tennessee. Wow, good job, Bobby. Right, like that? Yeah, basically. He also, I thought this was the case, he was the original Ronald McDonald. <gasps> what a weird gig. Right? He was the yeah. first Ronald McDonald in the commercials. So now you all know that. That's cool. Isn't that cool? I love Sylvia has such a dig. She's like, that man will eat anything. That, yes, that's a very funny thing. She asks where the marshmallows are. Oh, no marshmallows. Yeah, didn't call for any. <laughs> Want to hear a funny story? When I was a little girl, we had no money. It was during the war. My father was overseas and my mother was in the hospital with the crew. Well, so far, it's more a cute story than, like, funny. <laughs> Thanksgiving, all my brothers and sisters, we went to eat with Mama. They brought in the tray, we looked down, and they were the sweet potatoes, but no marshmallows, because they were rationed. Marshmallows? It was war. <laughs> anyway, we were so upset, we cried and cried, and I told myself that when the war was over, I would never spend a holiday without marshmallows again. But this is fine. <laughs>
Listen, it's a trope, but this was a gr- if there was ever a trope I would really enjoy, it was this story. This is a beautifully delivered monologue. She's unbelievable. But also, it's, the whole notion of marshmallows being rationed during the war is so funny. It's ridiculous. But also, like, yeah, it's the sort of thing where, yeah, how many times have you heard, oh, well, you had to conserve X because there was a war on. Right. So, sure, I could see where marshmallows would I be could rationed. Too. It would feel inappropriate, I would imagine. That's also true. To be like, oh, wow, you're sitting here eating marshmallows? Sure. Because the word yeah. is celebratory and stupid. Yes. Like a marshmallow. And so- and so is the food. Right. There's no reason for yeah. anybody. You can't While have our a... boys are over there fighting a war. Yeah. You can't be taking on the Germans on the other side of the world and also having s'mores back home. Right. It's rude. Man, I didn't have any living relatives, I think, that I engage with enough where there were stories like this. Did you? No. They would have had to be have been like cognizant of the world. In the early 40s. I knew that both of my grandparents were in the war. Wow. I never knew where, and I never in knew what World they did. In World War Two or Korea? In World War Two. Really? In World War II. yeah. Wow. I never had the wherewithal to ask any questions. And then much later, and after they'd passed away, unfortunately, I learned that I think, yeah, my dad's dad was in Australia. <laughs> and, yeah. What? Yeah. Was that part of the Pacific Front? Yes. Must have been, right? I think he was like hanging telephone line there. Communication. Wow. Isn't that like. That's such a weird. Yeah, part of me is just like, it's like, oh, well, what are your war stories? Oh, well, I was in paradise. Right, right, right. It clearly wasn't. And it's its own thing. Yeah. What stories those would have been? Yeah. But Russ, I mean, you know, it was a long time ago. So who cares, right? That is very true. And. uh, but no, yeah, it's so, not. It's not true. I was being sarcastic. It's not true. <laughs> oh, brother. The, ladies and gentlemen, something. he hasn't learned a thing in 20 years. <laughs> who ca- so I guess the moral of this little story lit is who cares about World War II? <laughs> Moving on. My grandparents so we, were too young to be in that war. Oh, yeah? Yeah. My grandfather tried to go to Korea, but he was flat-footed and they wouldn't let him. That would have kicked me out as well. Me too. I, I didn't realize that was such a yeah. big thing. It makes sense because I can't run long <laughs> and you need to be able to yeah i like having or a I thing now, i can because, pin it on yeah, oh it's my yeah, feet exactly yeah. yeah otherwise i'd be out there every day jogging around <laughs> <laughs> i'm not like now i've got prescription orthotics but back then pff, forget it yeah <laughs> so that's what we used to do with the marshmallows yeah we go back to the grocery store and he goes to get marshmallows and Kim knows about the Willard Scott marshmallow thing. And he has a few other suggestions of items to purchase. Nothing else? Votive candles? Lemon pledge? Chocolate macaroons? No, just marshmallows. For sweet potatoes. Ah, uh, sweet potato mousse. Martha Stewart make that for Willard Scott. <laughs> now, this continues to happen. Every time they go there, just like last time. It's a great bet. He has several different suggestions of things to get. He has suggestions. He has pitches. He has recommendations. (laughs) They tend to come in three, multiples thereof, and a third thing. So we go back to the apartment. Jamie's parents have arrived. You know, it must be. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. This episode, it's just occurring to me, has a lot of... Because Jamie's parents are different, too. Yes. The character Kim is different. So there's three yes. actors reprising roles that they hadn't originally played. That is true. Which is very unusual. I'm sure it happens all the time, but also for this instance, yeah. it's That's a lot of once. seen it in our show. No. They must get a tape of the old episode or something, right? To be like, hey, this is the gist. 
I don't think so. Really? I think they, yeah, I think they just get to make it their own. Well, that certainly feels true based on the parents, I guess, because they're radically different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's just they don't care nearly as much about this as we do. King's doing the same cadence. I think all of these characters are in the writing. Okay, all right. Writer is God. There you go. Sure. So, yes, Aunt Lolly is there as well. Yeah, do you know she's with us for a lot of episodes? No. Yeah, I didn't understand who she was, and I looked her up, and she's credited with, like, four episodes. Wow. So we'll be spending a lot of time with Aunt Lolly. Interesting. Yeah, do we Aunt know Lolly. anything about any of these actors or actresses? Oh, absolutely. We don't have to. No, Aunt Lolly is played by Meg Wiley. She goes, I mean, her career started in 1952. Wow. On Mr. Peepers. Holy moly. I mean, she was in the original Star Trek, two episodes of that. Good like, for her. She's been gigging for decades. She's been doing it. Twilight An Zone. Pro. Your favorite. Everybody's favorite. She played a nun. The Untouchables, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I mean, nonstop, baby. What's her name? Meg Wiley. Meg Wiley. She's also in the movie Dragnet, which I imagine you love. I liked it for sure. Okay. <laughs> I haven't seen it. That's in, good enough. I haven't seen it in years and years and years. She was on four episodes of Golden Girls. Cool. Night Courts. What's interesting is that all of these, she has different characters each time. Huh. So a true character actor. Yeah. Like, rarely even reprised the role. <laughs> no, Dave. Making her appearances count. Yeah. I know this isn't the way the business works, but I love the idea of like her getting home after a shoot and just like emailing or writing to the director. Being like, thank you so much for the opportunity. Just so you know, I know I played a nun, but I can also play a police officer or <laughs> a, a bus driver or a wife or whatever you need. So just keep me in mind in the future if you ever need any of those things. We'll do. We'll do. We'll do. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> what are you doing next week? <laughs> Our new Gus Stempel is played by John Carlin, K-A-R-L-E-N. He okay. was nominated for Best Actor in Cagney and Lacey, in the series Cagney and Lacey. Wow. Oh, he also won for Cagney and Lacey. Who did he play? The Ampersand. <laughs> that's pretty good. Thank you. I'm proud of that one. <laughs> and that's our show, everyone. Lacey. Wow. Wait, I'm so confused. I'm sorry. Hold on. Cagney and Lay What is going on? Oh, there's reunion shows. 1995. The nines on IMDb look like fives. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it was a TV show, though. There we go. Yeah. Harvey Lacey. So wow. he was Lacey. Now, I never watched Cagney and Lacey. I know it's about, what, cops who are partners, Two right? Two cops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was is Tyne Daly on that show? Am I wrong about that? Am I making um... that up? Oh, is Tyne Cagney? Probably. Yeah, Tyne Daly. Oh, yeah. is Mary Beth Lacey. Okay. I'm yeah, so I didn't confused know. then. I knew Tyne Daly was in it. I didn't know which oh. character she played. I've Cagney never seen and show. Lacey are female detectives. I thought that was the case too, and so I was confused about him. So he played her brother or husband? Okay. I guess. I don't know. I'm learning so many things and sounding like an idiot, I'm sure. Yeah, we both. Well, I sound like an idiot too. It's not just you. I'm just in on it all the time, or I'm just like, oh, yeah, he was Lacey. Oh, yeah, they were both female cops. Yeah, yeah that's true. I, yeah, I yeah, know that everything. Rings a bell. Yeah. This guy was in a lot of cop shows. I mean, <laughs> don't you I know it. it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's go through all of these and talk about the premises off the top of our heads. <laughs> Mannix. <No. laughs> I can deal with premises. I'm saying I know the details. <laughs> but I mean, listen to this. Mannix, Hawaii Five-0, Streets of San Francisco. There was a Serpico TV show. I bet that didn't last long. 
Oh, he was on All in the Family once. Hunter. Police story. Charlie's Aunt. Well, that's not really. Kojak. Rockford Files. Barnaby Jones. Hey, Barnaby Jones. Barnaby Jones. I mean, he's been in every cop show from yeah. like 1970 to 1988. I get it. Looks like a cop. Yeah. Not Wouldn't be shocked a if he was a cop. Doesn't look like a butcher. No. I thought this was weird casting given. It's weird to go from Paul Dooley to John Carlin. I agree. And I'm sure John Carlin would agree, too. I think and so. he's probably like, also, eh, what the hell? Okay, I'll do yeah, it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, he's not. I do not think that he's looking back and being like, oh, well, Paul Dooley did it this way, and I got to do, I got to pay respects to him. He's a fine actor, and he originated the role. I think he's just like, I'll do these lines for a day. I don't know. I think it's weird to not do that. Well, whatever. I also think that the ease with which we can watch all of these things. Uh-huh. Maybe coloring our opinion. Oh, big time. Because it's not just like, I picked up the DVDs and I was able to see what these people did. Yeah, but here's what I'll say. The first interaction we get in this scene is between, one of the first interactions with him is between him and Lisa. Yep. When he finds out she's a vegetarian. Yep. And then he starts telling her, like, that's bad for you. Like, it'll kill right. you or something. Mm-hmm. It just felt, I don't know, maybe it would just be, but I felt, it didn't feel like a father talking to his daughter. It felt like just some random guest at a party. I agree. Who's like cuckoo, saying a cuckoo yes. thing, and then not walking away. Whereas yes. usually they would walk away after that line. Yes. You know what it is? Who? It what? felt like an undercover cop playing the role of a father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this guy's not even an actor. He nah. works for the FBI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just knows how to play cops. Yeah, these are all <laughs> undercover roles. And so it's just like, yeah, so that's what happened. <laughs> and her mom, Mrs. Stemple, is played by Penny Fuller. Oh, she was nominated for a primetime Emmy for guest actress on an episode of ER. Welcome back, cool. Carter, for playing Mrs. Constant. I don't remember that. I remember that episode vaguely, but that's it. She was also nominated for guest actress on NYPD Blue. Boy, this is an actress. You definitely want a guest star. Sure. I wonder if that's tough. I wonder if people saw those Emmys and were like, let's keep giving her guest star roles instead of being like, well, let's give her a lead now, you know? Maybe. People love pigeonholing out here. That's true. Hey, Ross, let me tell you something about Hollywood. People love the pigeonhole. They love it. Thank you for telling me that. And she got nominated for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a miniseries for Miss Rose White. And nominated, boy, she's got a lot of nominations. And she won for The Elephant Man. Wow. Yeah. That was apparently a miniseries as well. How cool. Yeah. So she is quite an accomplished actress. Oh, and she plays uh, Jamie's mom for three episodes. Okay. So we'll we'll have have her. get used to her a little bit. Five episodes. And some of them are my favorite. You got picked up for the back end. Congrats. Oh, this is even stranger. Remember Bing Bang Boom? Yep. She plays Jamie's mom via voice. Interesting. Yeah, so she already had the the part before this episode, I guess. Wow. Yeah, I know, right? Strange. Well, that's pretty neat. Yeah. All right. That's everyone's resume, so let's get back to work. Thank you. (laughs) So... Jamie's mom, like Paul's mom, brought potatoes, and Paul's mom suggests that we can freeze hers. Oh, yeah. And Jamie's mom and Jamie's Aunt Lolly are smoking. Yes, that was surprising, too. That didn't feel like old Mrs. Stemple at all. Didn't feel like old Mrs. Stemple. It feels very strange to see smoking in the apartment. Mm -hmm. Feels strange to see smoking on television, frankly. That's true, too. Yeah, Jamie's mom is already smiling and happy, asking questions in the kitchen. And out of stress, Jamie steals a cigarette when she leaves. Oh, yeah. Have we seen her smoke before? I feel like that was a thing once, right? At least once, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ira arrives at the door, (laughs) and we learn that he and his band got bumped from the parade for Sherry Lewis. Also, music, like band Ira is so, like, hip. Yes. Like, he's wearing sunglasses when he walks in, and he just has a (laughs) swagger, even though he got bumped. He does. 
He feels very cool. And they got bumped for Shari Lewis. Do you know Shari Lewis? You of must. course. Lamb Chops yeah. play along. Sing Lamb along. Chops play along. Whatever. Yep. Snooze. I mean, look, that was when we were kids. Shari Lewis goes way, way, way back. Did you know that? I assumed because I feel like when I was watching it, I was like, how old is this show? <laughs> That's fair. Like it looked yeah. old as a kid. Yeah. My mom was a big Lamb Chop. Oh, wow. Fan. Yeah. From That's sweet she that she had such yeah. a long career. She did. Here's the thing, though. That dirty, filthy suck. This actually, I don't even want to say that because that feels like that feels like a stand-up bit that must have been prevalent from oh, like yeah. 1980 to 1999. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Ah, the, when the, did she wash that sock? Yeah. <laughs> Are there multiple lamb chops? Ira says her float gets a flat, so they give her hours. Like people would rather see a woman going down Broadway with her hand up a lamb's ass. <laughs> That's a fun line. The fun line. Here's oh, my... something interesting, though. Okay, yeah. Jamie's dad. Yes. Says. This line kills me. He says, you know she's Jerry Lewis's wife. Right. And everyone laughs. Everyone laughs. Don't tell me. What? They were really married. They weren't really married. Oh, okay. Here's what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, tell me. Jerry Lewis has appeared on the show. Yeah. As a different character. Right. So now we live in a universe wherein Jerry Lewis has appeared in character and now the actor Jerry Lewis exists. Russ, you understand that Jerry Lewis appearing as a character is not in the universe. Yes. That would yes, be I like do. you saying, John has appeared as a character in my podcast, but also I know him. I know a person named John as a friend. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what's going on here. No, it is. Within the universe, <laughs> that billionaire is just a billionaire who yes. happens to be like Jerry Lewis. <laughs> who happens to be like... <laughs> but Okay, so he happens to be like Jerry Lewis because Jerry Lewis exists, right? Yes. So then this billionaire looks exactly like him. Very similar. And says, nice lady. And is a crazy physical comedian. He probably grew up on it. Like you and uh, Jason and Alexander. No, but at no point does anybody there say, hey, are you Jerry Lewis? Because you look like him and you're doing a lot of his shtick. I feel like they do a little in spirit. <laughs> you, in what? spirit. <laughs> in spirit, they call him out. Yeah. As being meta? Yeah, because they make some meta jokes. Yup, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, am I really to you or no? No. Uh, so, you're just tired? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> hey, tip from me to all of you rise guys and rise gals. Just wear them down. <laughs> when in doubt, wear them down. <laughs> wear them down. Oh, man. You really so, think? I don't know. It's, no, it's, I don't. <laughs> it's sort of a litmus test or it's just how our brains work. Yeah. I go full in on the universe. To me, the actors don't exist. They're just characters. Yes. Because one of my favorite things they do on this series, one of the reasons I wanted to do the podcast is so that we can talk about the Alan Brady episode. Okay. Yeah. Because if you want to talk about like a TV Mobius strip of insanity, they make Alan Brady real, which means the Dick Van Dyke universe is the same as the Mad About You universe. Mm -hmm. And he's played by Carl Reiner, the mm -hmm. real-life creator of the Dick Van Dyke universe. Yeah. It's insane. That's a lot. That's really cool. So I can appreciate what you're saying. <laughs> so I'm right. Is that your way of saying I'm right? <laughs> no one's right or wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny that you're like, uh, anyway, I don't. I haven't wanted to talk about this for three minutes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Jamie's mom does not take the news of the buffet well. She starts laughing. 
Yeah, right. She thinks it's a joke. Yes. And then Bert has his own opinion regarding cranberry jelly. Where's she going? She's going to get salad. Oh, that's nuts. Just give me turkey, some stuffing, and that cranberry jelly, and I'm set. Cranberry jelly? Yeah. Well, how would you feel about turkey, stuffing, and cranberries made from scratch? Scratch? Scratch. Oh, no, 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 not, not for me. See, for Thanksgiving, it has to slide out of the can. <laughs> I mean, I could hear him say anything. It's so good. He's so satisfying. No, no, no. It has to slide out of the can. That's pretty good, too. That was pretty good. I felt really good about that one. Louis Zurich and Barney Rubble. Hey, what if uh, Louis Zurich and Barney Rubble were to walk into a bar? I think it might go a little something like this. Anyway. <laughs> so. <laughs> what would those two talk about? What wouldn't they talk about? <laughs> so we go to the grocery <laughs> store. <laughs> That's pretty good. That was very good. That's pretty good. I like it a lot. So we go to the grocery store, and we learn they, they do not carry jellied cranberry sauce. Paul yells, you have soup from 15 countries, but jellied cranberry sauce you don't have. And Kim says, union problems. <laughs> I missed that. That's great. Really, really funny. Paul That's and Jamie great. decide they're just going to go back and have their own Thanksgiving, which is yes. what they intended to do from the beginning. This but now is, they're uh, going to do it. One of our listeners, Mac Jackson, the host of the MacGyver podcast, mm-hmm. posted a little anecdote on Facebook about this. He said this is another episode that hits true to life in so many ways, reminding each other of how to deal with family, do things your own way. He said, for our wedding, we were having scalloped potatoes, and my sister and mother said in unison, ew, not everyone likes that. But also, who doesn't like scalloped potatoes? Yeah, that's not true. They do. Yeah, everyone Good. likes that. Everyone likes all potatoes always. Yeah, I, potatoes. I disagree with uh, both of them. To which uh, Max says he replied, too bad, it's our wedding, and we're having what we want. Don't like it, don't eat it. Which is pretty... Wonderful. Pretty, he's standing his ground. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, great that you said that to us. What did you say to those actual people in your life, <laughs> Yeah, <Mac?"> right. <laughs> he said, we smirk every time Paul and Jamie stand up to their family. The moments that don't ring true to our life is a dog at the table eating the turkey and the running back and forth for the rest of the episode. But then we sure. wouldn't have the exciting Thanksgiving up. There you Glad go. they eventually got a free turkey. P.S. <laughs> my father also prefers the can of cranberry sauce over homemade. Thank God we all go to my sister's, who presumably doesn't make scalloped potatoes. But what are you going to no, do? No, of course not. The roving runner of Midtown, Gary Berard, uh-huh. had a mashed potato bar at his wedding where you could get mashed white potatoes or mashed sweet potatoes with any kind of fixings on them that you wanted. And that is basically all I remember and all I need to remember about Gary's wedding because it's the best thing that is that's ever happened at a wedding. Oh, that is a great idea. And I remember going up to the bar and trying to weigh my options. You're like, what should I do? And you get them all. Yeah. You do a potato who- flight. The guy looked at me and was just like, you want to do both? Uh, and I almost wept. <laughs> <laughs> Little bacon bit tears. Oh, so good. So speaking of the roving runner of Midtown texted both of us. Did you see this? No. About an hour ago, it said, if I plan this right, you guys are recording right now. What are you two old birds bitching about this week? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Gary, go to hell. Let's see <laughs> what else. Oh, one more comment I wanted to mention since we're talking about these. Just going back to how illustrious this episode is in people's minds. Listener Tracy said the first time she saw this episode, it's cemented season three as one of the best seasons in her opinion. Yeah. 
Would you iTunes agree? Would, iTunes would certainly agree. Oh, really? Well, it's the only season available to purchase. Do you on think iTunes. that's why? I kind of maybe do. I could see that. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. For a while, I was just like, why is this the only season? And I'm like, oh, it's the best season. And who knows how well it's. Season threes so... are usually good on a lot of shows because they hit a stride. Yep. Oh, and uh, Lauren H on Twitter said, such a kooky but hilarious episode. Episode MVP is Kim and his list of things that they can buy. Agreed. She says, it seems like a lot of variety for a tiny little bodega type grocery store, which I remember thinking when I was a kid watching it. Mm-hmm. I was like, who has chutney and turkeys? And she's like, why does he have that many different types of cooked turkeys instantly available? And part of me's like, hey, it's New York. Yeah. But no New York deli's like this. This one does. Do you remember yeah, how it, kooky we thought it was? The first time we saw it, they had like the hot dog vendor. It was like a grocery store in the Midwest yeah. on the corner of a. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That time. Yeah. All that needs to happen for me to yeah, suspend we were like, my disbelief all this fruit? Is, is twice. <laughs> yeah. Is, is one repetition. Must be true. Yeah. The first time I'm just like, this is crazy. And then I was like, hey, man, that's Kim's. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You don't know All kids, right. it's the best. You can get anything. So Boy, this is what happens when we do every other. I can't stop gabbing. Yeah, this is what happens. So they get back, and Sylvia is talking to Fran on the couch. And she says to Fran, it breaks my heart what's happened to your life. I oh. missed that, too. That's oh amazing. My God. <laughs> and then That's Jamie's, amazing. It's just crushing. Jamie's mom says to Lisa, well, at least you were married once. And Lisa takes a drag off of Aunt Lolly's cigarette. Yeah, Lisa really takes a lot in this episode. Yeah, she sure does. Her mom does a real number on her. Yep. Mark calls, and we have this running bit with Mark on the phone. Mark talking to Fran. Yeah. And Fran talking to Ryan as well. And Fran is trying to convince Ryan that he likes turkey. So she repeats over and over again, you you like turkey. Yes, Yes, you you do. do. Yes, you do. It's the most annoying bit. It is. But I like it. Yeah. That's the thing, where I'm just like, okay, this is annoying, but I'm on board for it. I like that the men in her life are a mess. Sure. Because she has to do it to Mark later. Yes, she does. When she's like, you have control of the situation. Yes, you do. Yeah, you do. It's yeah. so funny. Yeah. And it's also just like, she is so, they're both, well, I don't want to call Ryan pathetic, because he's a child, but Mark is. He's a pathetic kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it. I hate this kid. <laughs> so. Hey, I hate this kid. <laughs> So we get back to the table, and the table has been set in the absence of Paul and Jamie. Yes. And Paul decides to put his foot down, and Jamie turns into a game foul. This way everybody's happy. No, actually, not really. This way you're happy. Me and the missus, not so much. Jamie's happy. Not so much. Look, let me explain something to you people. This is our home. This is our dinner. So if we want to eat on our laps with no cranberry jelly. No jelly? No jelly. Then it's not Thanksgiving. No, it is Thanksgiving. It's just our Thanksgiving, which means we're going to do it our way. Right? Right. Yeah. So come on, move, move the chairs back. <laughs> come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on. <laughs> oh, what? A game foul. She becomes a turkey, basically. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Did you pick up that that was what she was doing? No. Yeah. I gotcha. I also have never heard that term. It makes a lot of sense. It feels very old-fashioned. I may have misused it, but I don't think I did. I like the use. It feels like something someone would have said 80 years ago. (laughs) Great. I'm timeless. You're courting Arthur. He's a game foul. (laughs) So... 
He can't get a sentence out. It's just baka, baka, baka. You know? Oh, my God. Tell him your dance card's full. I was going to say, so in this version of me, people are flirting with me. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So Jamie says to everybody, they are putting their foot down. Jamie says, we're not kids anymore. Everything is under control. They go into the kitchen, very proud of themselves, and find Murray standing on the table eating the turkey. Yeah. And we go to commercial. Great boy, big oh moment. Very Moliere. <laughs> Reeks of Moliere. This is where I say out loud, this is just a classic French farce. I mean, unmistakably. <laughs> so, And knowing they, that really makes this episode all the more gratifying. <laughs> <laughs> so they come up with a plan. They decide they can't just tell their parents because, of course, not. So they come up with a plan to sneak out and buy another turkey and sneak back in with it. Paul sneaks off here. Yes, you do. You should be ready any minute. Look done to me. Where are you going now? Huh? Oh, I, I, I just got to get a small thing. What? Very fun. I love that drift off a lot. <laughs> I feel like I've done that in real life, but I don't remember why. <laughs> I would love to see you do that. It's very fun to do. It feels very empowering. Right. Because <laughs> nobody really knows what control. to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. It's so the coward's Jamie's... way in. <laughs> That's you, baby. <laughs> so Jamie stalls by asking everybody to share what they are thankful for. I'm thankful for this scene. It's real funny. Each one. Everything that everybody says is great. Sylvia just says, come back to me, honey. Not playing <laughs> along. <laughs> Bert is very excited for having a parking space in front of the building where there is no meter. Jamie's dad is thankful we'll be eating very soon. Yeah, we'll be again, eating it's like... soon, right? What are you, a yeah. cop? He has a runner where he keeps on saying everything is a fact. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It just feels weird appear, to me. Yeah. Because I like her old dad. I like that character. Yeah. We'll like her dad again in a couple seasons. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Jamie's mom says, I'm, I'm thankful for my beautiful daughter, her lovely home, her loving husband, her exciting job, and also for Lisa. Yeah, that's brutal. Oof. And Lisa wonderfully says, I'm thankful I have therapy tomorrow. We cut to Fran, who is still just yelling, yes, you do, into the phone. Yep. Ira is thankful for Chuckles. This was amazing. This is such a weird line. It's so good. It's such great writing. Because they have to clarify. Yeah. The candy? The candy? And he says, yeah. yeah. <laughs> End of discussion. I thought it was going to be a clown. I didn't. I knew. You knew? Oh, because this just, episode's in your bones. I mean, it's in my bones, but also I'm just like, I feel like as soon as I saw it the first time, I was like, of course he's thankful for Chuckles the candy. My mother <laughs> loves Chuckles. Oh, yeah? I bring them at Christmas sometimes because they didn't oh, have them in Ohio. Sweet. I'd buy them in New York. Oh, not me, baby. We have jelly rings. Oh, I love jelly <laughs> rings, but you get those in Ohio. Oh, yeah? Oh, sure. And the chocolate-covered marshmallow bars. Sure. All the classic Fruit Joya slices. candies. <laughs> now listen, Joya, we would gladly take as a sponsor. Absolutely. Let's Joya, get them on the Manischewitz. Phone. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to pay out. us. We just want to do the ads. <laughs> Feels on brand. Yeah, we've been talking about coming up with new segments. Maybe one of them is just we write and produce <laughs> Free commercials. Ads. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aunt Lolly, they come to, and she says nothing, as is her, that's her gig. Yep. And Jamie still needs to stall, so she decides to go alphabetically. 
starting with apple blossom time. Uh. Very silly. We cut to the store where Paul gets a turkey. Uh-huh. We cut back, and Lisa is frustrated. She's going into the kitchen, and she sees the turkey that is eaten. And she says a very funny thing, which is, Maybe this is just my new outlook on meat, but this is disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Paul arrives at the apartment with the turkey, which he cannot sneak in because everybody's still in the room. And so he leaves it in the hallway temporarily. Paul comes in and Jamie decides to lie about the pipes. They hear the pipes. She says she'll call a plumber. Jamie's dad says that'll cost $179 minimum. That's a fact. And Sylvia says, yeah, and Sylvia says, what do they care? They buy ice. That's a great line. Yeah. But this is also just a fun game of like, how do we get the parents occupied? Yes. Yes. Pipes for the dads, decorating for the moms. There you go. So yeah, they the, the moms are going to redecorate their bedroom. Then we go back into the hallway where we learn that the turkey that Paul has stashed is gone. Yeah. Somebody has says, you don't leave a turkey in a hallway in New York. Yeah. And Paul is like, how would I know? And Jamie says, it's a fact. Yeah, right, right, right. Like father, like daughter. There it is. So it is now Jamie's turn to get a new turkey. So she brings it in towards the kitchen. The main living room, I wish that we could show you this. This is a funny, funny bit of physical business because Jamie's almost into the kitchen and she hears that it is occupied by family. She thinks, I'll go to and leave it in the bedroom. The bedroom is occupied by family and they are all closing in on her. And Jamie panics and jamie throws the turkey out the window that's i laughed out loud at that it's a wonderful moment yeah this is the shorthand for this episode where it's just like is that the one where jamie throws the turkey out the window right 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 if this were a friends episode it would be the one with the, the one where the window yeah, yeah right. the one where jamie throws the turkey out the window and if it was a seinfeld it would be the turkey window the turkey window <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. If it was a Seinfeld, it would be called the letter opener, and it would have nothing to do with Thanksgiving because they don't do that stuff that everybody else on the network does. They do their own thing and screw you. That's not true. <laughs> I don't like that attitude. Yeah, I don't care for your tone. Yeah. <laughs> don't disparage Seinfeld like that on this podcast. <laughs> so Ira and Fran and Lisa all know because Lisa has told Ira and Fran Yes. About the turkey situation. She told them this a little bit earlier. And um, so Ira and, she and tells Fran. Mrs. Stemple. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, Ira and Fran go to, they volunteer to go get a new turkey. And Lisa goes to tell Mrs. Stemple. She tries to distract Mrs. Stemple and tells her, hey, by the way, Murray ate the turkey. That's right. why we're not having it right now. She's caved three times in one minute. Yes. She says, don't tell anybody. Right. Just, of course, and immediately calls for Jamie's dad. Ira and Fran buy a new turkey, but they cannot get it into the apartment because, again, there are parents in the living room. So their idea is to go one floor above. Paul and Jamie live in 11D. They go to 12D and bother the neighbors up there. Does that woman live there? Because didn't she? They dressed her like a maid. Yes, I think she's a maid. So the apartment one floor up has a maid? Yep. It and happens yet, sometimes. Yeah, but their apartment, they're so humble or meager that Paul can't even deal with the idea of a maid. Right, yeah. You don't know about those people up there. What a complicated building, class-wise. <laughs> John Aston lives in that building. That's true. You're just not used to seeing such social class-based disparity amongst people who all live in a beautiful luxury New York building. You know what I hey, mean? Hey, John, I'm going to tell you this one time. Don't tell me what I'm used to seeing. Uh- 
Chats, it's like it's like the people on the second floor are like, oh, we could never fathom paying for ice. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And two floors up, they're like, oh, we buy ice all oh, the we, time. Yeah, we buy ice all the time. We have a maid working on Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> so Paul and Jamie's bedroom has been completely rearranged. And uh, Ira calls. Which is very funny because that means the mothers funny. moved the piano. Oh, yeah. They moved the piano. They moved the bed. The bed, the dresser. The yeah. Ira calls Paul and tells Paul to go to the kitchen. And as they do that, Jamie's dad tells Bert about the turkey when they are both fixing the pipes in the bathroom. So now everybody's all caught up. In the kitchen, Sylvia comes in as Paul Paul and Jamie are waiting for the phone to ring. Or waiting for whatever Ira called about. Rather. Yeah, Paul doesn't even know what's happening. He just knows yeah. Ira said go to the kitchen. Yes. So they're waiting. Sylvia comes in to get a cigarette. She turns away from the window and says, I smell turkey. As she says this, a turkey tied up on a line comes dangling into the window frame. Very fun. Very cozy. Very sitcom-y. Yes. All about it. It's great. Very marble rye Yes, it is the marble rye for sure. Foods uh, on a rope. 90s TV trope. <laughs> you sound so angry about two of our favorite things. No, I like it. <laughs> so before they are able to catch it, they usher Sylvia out of the kitchen. And then before they're able to get the turkey, it falls to the ground. So that now on really their... killed me. Yeah. Just watching a turkey... <laughs> And then a, and a just rope the behind idea it. that like two giant turkeys have fallen out of an eleventh story apartment <laughs> within minutes of each other. Yeah, it's borderline the end of Magnolia. <laughs> this is something that happens. <laughs> Someone in New York made up with their dad because that turkey <laughs> hit him in the head, and the other turkey. Hit William H. Macy in the face and broke all his teeth. (laughs) So they then run back to the market where Kim just hands them a turkey, says on the house, and they don't break stride. They run right back out. I think this is now their fifth turkey. They are five turkeys in. Yeah, I'm getting a little sick of the bit, to be honest. (laughs) I think they tapped it off very nicely. Yeah, no, you're right. Because it's essentially over now. Right, yes. Now's the resolution. Yes, because they get back to the house and... Everybody now knows about the turkey situation. Sylvia has just been told. And she hears Paul and Jamie arrive at the kitchen. She catches them. And so to distract everybody, she says, look, everyone, it's Ira on TV. And Bert points out that it's not Ira, it's Cirque du Soleil. But as they do this, Paul and Jamie, they hustle and sidestep the turkey into the kitchen. Paul shields the turkey from their view hilariously. He does a very funny little... Yes. A highly gifable shuffle into the kitchen. Highly gifable. Yeah. This may be a four-clapper, this moment. Yeah. There are lots of four-clappers in this episode. True. Yeah, her throwing a turkey out the window? Absolutely. So, friends. But what's great Sylvia, about this one is everyone's there. Yes. Yes, yes. That well, I is guess it, it doesn't matter. Keep going. doesn't matter. I don't want to get so, caught up in the minutia of uh, whether or not, which one's a better four clapper. Let's move on. <laughs> That's another debate for another day. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Fran says to Sylvia, good for you. And Sylvia says, what? I never had a mother-in-law? Bert says, she loves you. And Sylvia says, please. That's very fun. It's really good. And a little frustrating. Yeah. Whenever like a nightmare person has moments of clarity. Yes. And then you're like, why can't you just always be like Just this? be like that. Just yeah. Be, you've got it in you. Clearly you get it. Yeah. Oh, so you know? Well, then yeah. you have no excuse. <laughs> but that is how people are. It's true. Including you and me. Not me, though. Oh, fair. I'm oh, great. There it goes time. again. Right, Rise Guys and Rise Girls? 
<laughs> so at that point, Paul and Jamie enter and turkey is served. Paul starts carving. And Jamie utters the last line of the episode proper, which is, wait till you see dessert. And then we cut back into the kitchen where Murray is on the table eating what looks to be a chocolate cream pie. Great callback. Interesting that it's not pumpkin. Yeah, a good point. But my family, for example, doesn't like pumpkin pie that much. I love it. They don't. I also love pumpkin pie. And hey, you know, if Paul and Jamie are trying to do their own thing, it may be a deliberate attempt to individuate. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yes, watching Murray eat is very cute and funny. Uh, The tag is Aunt Lolly on the phone. And she's saying, I haven't been able to get a word in edgewise all day. These people are nuts. They keep calling me Aunt Lolly. I'm not sure who I'm related to. Yeah, this is very funny and a little confusing. Yes. Like, are we meant to think that she, they just picked up the wrong person? No, I think it's her. She just is senile. She just doesn't remember or. It was so funny is she's super cogent at the same time. Yes. Yes. I think it's just a goof. It's one of those tag goofs. Oh, uh, you don't think it's a ta- one of those tags that the whole episode's meant to lean on? <laughs> That's no, just me? Yeah. yeah. So that is Giblets for Murray, Mad About You's first classic. Wait, you say Giblet? Yeah. I say you know Giblet. You why I say that? Oh, you should uh, say giblet. I know why you're going to say. Why? Because that's how the word is pronounced. That's also a very good rest impression. And that is what <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Bonnie, tell the Rise guys and Rise gals about what we are here to say on social media. Well, Fred. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> you can follow Yeah, that's horrible. You can follow us on Twitter at MadAboutYouPod. And don't just follow us. Don't be a sheep. Be a poet. Tweet at us. <laughs> be the opposite of a sheep. A poet. You know, tweet at us. Uh, we love hearing from you guys on uh, Twitter. You can uh, contact us on Facebook. We're also at MadAboutYouPod on there. You can email us, MadAboutYouPod at gmail.com. Basically, if you want to get in touch, pick your favorite thing, try Mad About You Pod, and we might be there. There you go. Subscribe to us on iTunes, where we're Mad About Mad About You, which is the name of the podcast. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, we're on Stitcher, we're on TuneIn, we're everywhere podcasts are sold. Write and review us if you like the show and haven't had a chance to. It really helps us out. It only takes a couple minutes. Please do. It really does. Yes. And you'll feel good. Every time I review a podcast, I feel good. Same. Because it's the act of doing a thing to completion. That's all it is, you know? Yeah. That's why I feel good. It costs nothing. It's nice when people make something and put it out there, and that's free, and then you're able to be like, hey, I like this thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you like this and you want to let us know that you like this. That's a great way to do it. That's a good way to do it. What else? Is that it? What else do we plug? I think so. Do you have anything to plug? I've got uh, Public Pool every Tuesday night at the Magnet Theater, 29th and 8th Avenue. Bingo, baby. How about yourself? Not much. If you happen to be, <laughs> here come the specific plugs again. <laughs> That's the way if this you happen work. to be in the Wilmington, North Carolina area. Yeah. Next Saturday, come check out UberX, a new short film at the Cape Fear Independent Film Festival. What's exciting, we're opening for feature documentary about W.G. Snuffy Walden. Oh, how cool. Which is the fun. The composer. Yeah, I don't think he'll be there. He's. I know he's been dropping in at some of the festivals that it's been screening at, so I got my fingers crossed, but, you know. That's so neat. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching it because uh, he's great. 
For those who don't know, yeah. he's the guy who composed The West Wing. And then a bunch of other shows. Friday Night Lights theme. Friday Night Lights. That's right. Yeah, lots and lots of stuff. Yeah, so, so if you live around North Carolina on your free Saturday, come on over in the afternoon. Check out the festival. It'll be great. Do it. Wonderful. We also have a theme song, not by Snuffy Walden, but it sounds like this. It's by John D. Snuffy Ivy. And our logo is by Nathan Snuffy Diffie. You can find him on Twitter at Nathan Diffie, D-I-F-F-E-E. Thanks to both of them. And our sound is mixed by Vuk Snuffy Ivanovich. Thank you, Vuk. John, happy Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for you. You too, Russ. I'm really looking forward to Christmas. Can't wait. Just a few short weeks away. Indeed. Maybe. I don't think they have a Christmas episode. Uh. <laughs> we'll find out together, and we'll find out with you, Rise Guys and Rise Gals. Thank you so much for listening. You make this all worthwhile. Thank you for being with us one more time. This has been Mad About Mad About You. I'm Russ Fader. I'm John Marbley. And this, this is, is what, what we're, we're saying. saying.